Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 4th of November. Joining me on this edition are assistant editor Steve Withers. I've never woken up in handcuffs before. <laughs> yeah, right. News editor Mark Hodgkinson. Meat or potatoes. And audio reviewer Ed Selly. And when the dead walk, the living will fill these coffins. Hello and welcome back to the AV Forums podcast. Before we go any further, do you feel lucky? Do you, punk? Uh, you could win some competitions, Mark. Yes, you can. You better hurry up with the first one. It's the <laughs> NVIDIA Shield Android TV. Uh, and that one closes on the 6th of November. So two days after this one goes out. Is that right? Three, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So hurry up with that. And it's well Did worth winning. Did you have winning. to get your fingers out there to count that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just nodded my head forwards twice. I didn't I didn't actually use my fingers, just a nod of the head. Uh, and then we've got uh, Waterworld on Blu-ray, which is available to active members and closes on the 9th of November. And also only available to... Oh, no, sorry. I'll take it back. It's all members, this one. And it's the Lady Killers Blu-ray. And that's the 27th of November. Any winners? No. No, not yet. None. <laughs> it's a zero-sum game. So that's competitions. If you're feeling lucky, off you go. Try and win some. And um, we should, if, if this one closes on the 6th, then we should have somebody winning something next week that we can announce on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Exciting news. Uh, let's move on. Hardware news. And Sky have uh, are, are about to make a big announcement. Um, they haven't quite done it yet. They sent out an email inviting press along to, uh, to their offices because they're going to unveil something. What is it, Mark? Well... Yes, as you say, it's an announcement of an announcement uh, <laughs> f- for an event that's taking place later in November. I think it's the 18th of November, was it? Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe you're going along. Is that right, Steve? I am indeed. Good. Um, yeah, so we do know it's a hardware announcement, but it's not. Uh, but there's also strong speculation that there's something else afoot, as in regards to the, uh, the whole user experience. Um, so possibly something akin to what Apple are trying with their TV and, you know, and various other set-top boxes are trying to achieve a more integrated 21st century content discovery experience. Um, that's a bit of speculation on our behalf. Um, there's there's not there's no clues as to the hardware at all. Um, we've got a, we've got to take a guess that it's going to be ultra HD. Well, if it's not, then they're kind of you know letting BT get a march on things, aren't they? If, uh, yeah, if it yeah, doesn't have very much 4K. so. So you, you presume we're going to get that news. We're going to get some content announcements, 4K content announcements, and see what they've got there lined up besides sports, because sports is a given. Uh, you've got to presume there's going to be movies and documentaries as well, but maybe they'll have a channel too. Who knows? Um, yeah, we, the rest is just pure speculation. We, we just don't know how they're going to deliver it, if they're going to deliver it you know, early next year. You know, is it going to be through the dish, or is this going to be some sort of hybrid IP satellite receiver machine? Which would, that's kind of where my money would go. But um, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. So much is Wouldn't unknown. Wouldn't that count as an, an interim stage for Sky that they would probably want to try and try and avoid? I mean, their USP obviously is is sort of satellite delivery. So surely, one of the reasons they might have been delayed up until this point is that they'd be pushing to to actually get 4k down via convention well conventional well, for their they can do it Ed, but they just can't get a lot down at once so mm. um I, th- I think that's the issue i i, I think ip is a simpler i mean as bt have said it's, it's a much simpler way of doing it yeah uh, but you still need uh, massive pipes you still need a, a fair size pipe yeah you will you will indeed so but, um, sky offer a broadband service right so they can tie it in with that as well in the same they way do. I yeah, do yeah, I'm yeah. Using, uh, using bt sports a way of driving their own broadband service to a certain extent 
exactly yeah. exactly what I was thinking why why they would might pursue the IP route. I, I think the other big thing here, again, speculation, but it'd be nice if they did it, would be to do away with the multi-room cost that's there to have multiple uh, sky and multiple rooms and have this feature on the new box where it does that via Wi-Fi or, or yeah. an app or some other way to that, other that rooms. Nice. That, that might possibly start to make sense for people who have maybe left Sky in the recent past because of the cost, because of the expense, uh, to actually reconsider it again um, if, if they can get advantages like that for no extra outlay. Yeah. I definitely think that they're well overdue for uh, a whole interface upgrade, aren't they? I mean... I, I don't have Sky myself, but when I've ever I've seen a Sky box, it's basically the same kind of interface as the box I had way back in 1999. Um, They've updated well, it a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, well, it, but it's, it's still quite the same, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but the, the thing I used to like about Sky was the simplicity of the use of, of the menus and stuff. It was simple for people to use without getting overcomplicated. Um, so, you know, the test I always use is, can my mum work it? basically mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and they had sky for a long time and and you know used it not a problem and could find the hd channels and all the rest of it so um that was the one thing i did like about sky i mean the only thing i didn't like about sky was the compression that they started introducing to movies so i got rid of movies pretty early on because of the compression um and and the artifacts um and then that started to move across to other channels now as they try to pack more in they're using comp- more and more compression and things start to look pretty nasty which was another reason I got rid of it. And the final reason I got rid of it was the cost. When you compare it to the media boxes and streaming services and other things, catch up where you can catch up on what you want to watch and so on. And now TV, where you're paying seven quid for the entertainment package, or you could buy the sports on a one-off if you really want that. Um, That made more sense to me than sticking with Sky. Um, So they have to do something, because I won't be the only one that's that's quit recently. Um, so, So they have to do something to try and pull pull in more because uh, you read the the results and it's always all oh, we've added so many subscribers what they don't tell you is how many people have actually left the service yeah. and, I, and I guess that'll be a couple hundred thousand I would imagine. My guess is that they'll, it'll all be there they'll, they'll, they'll have now TV alongside the Sky Plus stuff alongside Sky Store all on one box to give you the choice so I think yeah I, th- I think they'll it should be something good. And of course, we're sending our our biggest Sky proponent along to, uh, to this <laughs> event. As long as he goes in his "I love Rupert Murdoch" T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it might be an ambush, Steve. You never know. Yeah, it could be. No, I, I just think um, Sky's going to have to up their game because at the moment, like Ed's just said, their USP is their satellite delivery service, and I think there's a whole generation of people coming through now who don't have a satellite dish, don't have a skybox, aren't interested in that, and that's not how they access content. So, you know, either they adapt or die. Well, they've historically been quite good at that, so uh, (laughs) we'll just see how we get on. You went to see BT a couple of weeks ago now, Steve. It was more than a couple of weeks ago. It was beginning of last month, wasn't it? Um, And you've seen what they're doing and how much money they're plowing. And they're not being silly, and they're not spending silly amounts of money, but all, no. they are making an investment in technology as well as the broadcast side, which is something that Sky was always famous for. But I think, you know, as they made more and more money, they got. I, th- I think it's accurate to say that perhaps they got a bit greedy, and and the sort of you know the innovation is kind of certainly in the public eye um, disappeared. And and that was the one thing that they were always famous for. They were always famous for updating their cameras to the latest the latest technology, updating the channels to the latest technology. They were the first to market with 3D and all the rest of it. 
kind of gone by the wayside and BT's stolen a march on them with this. Yeah, not just in that aspect of um, of technology as well. Obviously, also they're gunning for them in terms of their sport coverage, which has always been the big thing about Sky. I mean, I think majority of people who've got Sky generally get it for uh, watching sport. I mean, maybe maybe movies for some people. I've got it because most, I don't have a television aerial on my house. Well, that's another reason why you might get it. <laughs> so, you know, nowadays, if you want to watch, you know, programming on Sky, like, you know, Sky Atlantic or something like that, you might as well just get Now TV. It's cheaper and easier and doesn't involve putting a dish on the on the roof and that kind of stuff. But if you still want to watch sport, then that's 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 the way to go. So BT have made no secret of the fact, BT Sport made no secret of the fact that that's, that's what they're going for. They're aiming, they're gunning for Sky. You could tell that from everything they're doing and, and the service they're providing and the way it's designed. And I mean, again, like going back to what I said about their box, the uh, old Sky boxes, I mean, the, the BT uh, interface is much slicker, much uh, much more 21st century than, than something that is still really... Um, knocking on the door of uh, 15, 16 years ago, over that even, in some aspects. So, yeah, I, I think they, they, they've seen what BT are doing, uh, and they need to get pull the finger out. You know, I'm assuming they'll make an announcement later this month, but it won't be until next year that they're actually going to launch this service. So they'll already be given uh, BT a good six months head start. So, yeah, need to get a move on. Okay. It's only a small market, to be fair, though. I wonder, I wonder if they're... Um, if they're going to launch a, a, a possibly like launch a sky sports dedicated service a bit like now tv and offer you the, the option to because you say most people want sky for the sports really but if they would rather not pay such a vast amount of money to have all the rest of the, all the, the channels so i wonder if they're going to start offering sort of apping it out a bit more so having you know a sky sports now now tv up separate to, to everything else where you could pay a monthly subscription to, to see it all because i you know, and just separate it out of now TV. I don't, I don't know. Just think, just thinking out loud. But they need, to, they need to do something, and I think that that would be a good way of uh, attracting some customers. If just it would attract me for a start, I would pay just for for the Sky Sports. Of course, uh, if they do announce uh, an ultra HD channel, and and that that's the future for them, um, formats standards still up in the air, Steve. And um, yeah. It, it it's one of those awkward times at the minute. If if your TV breaks, you need to buy a TV. Then you need to buy a TV. But if you're holding out for the latest technology, I guess our message this year has been: um, it, it probably wouldn't be too bad if if you waited another twelve months, eighteen months, just to see which way the the, the market goes. And that kind of led on to a feature which you published over the weekend, which was ten features that your next TV really must have for it to be future, future proofed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the reasons for putting it up now, I think, is because uh, sales go in spikes, don't they? There's, there's usually a spike around about between now and Christmas when this year's models get discounted, and then there's another spike in sort of March, April time of next year when the new uh, models get launched. Um, and as you've said, Phil, we've been saying most of this year, if you don't need to get a new TV, if you can last a bit longer, then um, don't. Obviously, if you if you have to, then, then buy one. Um, because we are going through a period of change, and you just alluded to that with regards to um, broadcasting, the standards for 4K broadcasting have yet to be agreed. They have not been agreed yet. It's pure speculation on our part. What we think, we've got a rough idea what we think it'll be, but it hasn't been agreed yet. Um, Blu-ray Blu Blu has, but you know, broadcast hasn't. So any TV you buy at the moment, um, you, you can't guarantee that television is going to be 100% future-proof. However, if it has these features that we've listed in, in, in the article, then there's a pretty good chance it will, it will be future-proof um, because it covers most of the things that we know about and the things that are coming down the line. So, for example, well, obviously, um, you, need, you need to get a, an Ultra HD 4K 
panel for a start, a TV that, that supports that resolution. And I think next year, uh, certainly in any decent sized screen, uh, so above, say, 40 inches, you're going to be hard put to find many full HD TVs anyway. I think the majority of TVs next year are going to be uh, ultra HD. That's going to be the, the, the norm, effectively. Um, but that's not enough. That's not the, as we've mentioned many times before, the manufacturers and the and the studios and broadcasters realize that um, it isn't just about high resolution. You need to give people more than that to make it a, a more distinctive experience from just full HD. So along with uh, uh, ultra HD 4K, we also got high dynamic range. That's been uh, talked about a lot this year. We've started to see it um, being released. So it's, it's included in the specs for um, Blu-ray, for 4K Blu-ray. I know that um, BT were talking about doing it. They've done some testing. They, they Apparently they broadcast the America's Cup with BBC and HDR. The BBC have been doing testing with HDR. A lot of TVs have been launched this year that support HDR or they're going to support HDR with a firmware update. So that's that's coming as well. It hasn't been more the case of the higher-end TVs so far, but we're going to see that filter down through a lot more TVs next year um, as their brightness increases and as it becomes more of a standard um, feature. But if you want to get the full benefit of um, full H um, Ultra HD 4K going forward, then HDR is also something you need to look for on your TV. Um, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, there's another article uh, which Mark originally wrote about HDR that um, that covers all the different formats that are around. Um, some are supported by certain things, others aren't. So it's a little bit confusing at the moment. And we're hopefully going to get a much clearer picture at CES when we should get... Um, no pun intended there. <laughs> No fun intended. Uh, announcements from the Ultra HD Alliance talking about um, their certification program. So the, their idea is, you know, to tell you which TVs can do what, which I think would be very good. We'll also get more news from the BDA, and we might get some more news from broadcasters. But we should get a clearer picture, at least, of where things are going in 2016, which would be good. But so far, you want Ultra HD 4K and HDR support. Wider color space. Up until now, everything we watched and, and, and Blu-rays, DVDs, TV, etc. That's all used Rec. 709 as a color space. That is the industry standard as it stands. But that is going to change. Again, it's all about giving you a better picture overall, so a wider color space, and probably it will be DCI um, because that's what movies use, and so it makes sense to just you know, port that across. Um, but certainly, you want to, uh, uh, you know if you if you can, you want your TV to have a wider color space. Now, up until now, I don't think I certainly I think Mark can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I haven't tested a TV, and I don't think you have either, that actually hits 100% of DCI. Well, no, I, I mean, the closest I've seen is, is the uh, Sony X94C. They got about 98%. That was pretty close. Um, and some of the Samsons are in the 90s and also uh, Panis. So that they are getting closer, but they haven't quite hit it. But basically, the idea is that you want a TV that can hit DCI, because that's probably the color space that's going to get used. Uh, now, going forward... Hang on, before we go any further, because I think we need to give some context to this as well. Um, we're talking about 90%, 98% and all the rest of it. Um, it wasn't too long ago that HD TVs struggled to reach Rec. Yeah. 709. And even NTSC, which was Rec. 601, which was an even smaller triangle. And that's why if you look back at some of the marketing from a few years ago, you would have seen um, manufacturers saying, oh, this this set gets to 98% of NTSC or, or this one gets to 90% of Rec. 709. So um, just to put it in the context, it wasn't that long ago that TVs couldn't hit 709, even though that standard's been around for about 20 years. And, and the reason that they've suddenly jumped up this year, particularly uh, in terms of the wider colour space, is because of quantum dot. The induction of quantum dot on LCD panels means that they can hit a much wider colour space and they're now getting very close to DCI. Uh, even if your, although luckily, even if your TV uh, doesn't hit 100% um, of DCI, it probably won't just yet. 
uh, or even if it doesn't have full HDR capabilities, um, there is an intention to include what's called tone mapping within the content in order to map the content as effectively as possible to the capabilities of your TV. So even if you haven't got everything on this list yet, um, you should still get some benefits from, from um, the content going forward. So it's not always not lost. And the content um, has to be backwards compatible or it doesn't yeah. get signed off. So yeah. again, don't panic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've also got 10 bits. So um, we're going to be making moving moving from 8-bit to 10-bit video, giving you greater detail, but more gradations in terms of the colors. So um, that's an improvement as well. Mo uh, I think the majority of TVs, certainly the higher-end TVs that are being we reviewed this year, with the notable exception of Panasonic, have been 10-bit panels. Um, so that's probably going to become the norm next year, where I thought pretty much all there will be 10-bit panels next year. But certainly the majority we've seen this year have been anyway. That's something we want to look out for. Is it a 10-bit or an 8-bit panel? Yeah, and uh, you're not going to get any higher than 10-bit, so don't go uh, looking for anything higher yeah. than 10-bit. And the, there's a very good reason why the specifications at this moment in time specify 10-bit as the maximum bit depth. And that's because anything higher than that at the moment takes up a hell of a lot of space and there's no actual benefit to it in terms of visibly seeing a difference. That's the reason why we're sticking with 10-bit for the foreseeable future. Because of the bandwidth, it would need to go higher than that and really visibly with the images that you're talking about and at the image sizes you're talking about, there's there's not a visi big visible jump that would make that worthwhile. So 10-bit will be staying for a while. Yeah, I think 10-bit is more than sufficient for a television screen. If you go to the cinema, they use 12-bit, but um, obviously they're dealing with much, much larger screen sizes. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think I think you know, we've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, but we're looking at a series of standards now that are really taking video quality in the home to a level that's almost on a par of what you're getting at the cinema, which, yeah. is, which is great yeah. news and, and, and for any enthusiast. And this is sometimes why we started pulling our hair out a little bit. And, and it's no fault of forum members because, you know, it's easy to get excited. People talk about things um, in, in the here and now. Um, so, you know, when you're talking about Rec 2020 and all the rest of it, people are demanding that, that you know, I won't buy another TV until it's Rec 2020. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> See you it's, in 10 years, boys. Exactly. It, it, you know, I think expectations are just a little bit too high, especially when you take, like you say, Steve, when you take into account where we were just two or three years ago, maybe a little longer, maybe four years ago, where TVs were struggling to hit 709. Yeah. And and what you're talking about with, with 2020 is a massive colour gamut. And if you think of how many millions, well, in fact, it's billions of permutations that you, you would need to get every single colour mapped properly to that standard, you're talking decade, at least, before that becomes a viable consumer format. Now, you might get the odd film here and there, the odd experiment, like you mentioned with the laser projector, Jungle Steve. Book. There's a talk about the Jungle Book yeah, being... So, but uh, these are experiments, and I think yeah. I think expectation levels need to be lowered a little bit here. Those are experiments, and you know, when you're talking about a consumer product that people in the forums are going to be able to buy, Rec 2020 is just not going to be doable. And, and I think the jump from 709 to DCI is such that people are really going to notice that. And there's no yeah. real need at this moment in time for us to be rushing to 2020 um, because it's just such a huge task to get there. I'm not saying that we shouldn't get there at some point, but I think you've got to be at least look at a decade before. And again, I'll point out consumer product. Yeah. I mean, no, well, it's not even on the horizon in terms of professional products at the moment, is it? No, but, it, but that'll come faster than it will for the consumer. Yeah, so, it will so, happen eventually, but no time, not any time soon. No. Um, 
So yeah, don't worry about that. When you're looking at this list and you're thinking, well, why is, why, why is it not 2020? And why is the TVs next year not 2020? They're not going to be. Um, and any that claim that they are getting there, um, they won't be. I have seen TVs, I'm sure you guys can, can um, say the same, that I've seen TVs that have had Rec 2020 settings, or what do they call it, Rec 2020 emulation or something like that? Emulation. They're nowhere near Rec 2020. No. Nowhere near it. Um, so nothing gets, I mean, even DCI, when you look at, look at the, there's, um, on the HDR article, there is a graph showing DC, uh, Rec, 2020, Rec 2020, DCI, and Rec 709. You can see just how much more, how much bigger Rec 2020 is compared to DCI even. Yeah, and then just... Only just, just getting to DCI. And just think about that in terms of data. Mm, how much yeah. data and points... The, pro, the processing the TV would need to, to map everything correctly would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't blame people for getting excited about new technology because we get excited about new technology. We talk about it all the time. But, yes, expectation levels, I think, sometimes we let ourselves get ahead of ourselves <laughs> sometimes, don't we, Ed? I mean, uh, this is... The, there is the consideration that um, regardless of what the industry is doing, uh, the general public's willingness to update to new standards, facilities and hardware um, happens at an almost fixed rate. Uh, so if we are about to uh, essentially, if you like, sign off on and, and get ready for you know what becomes a normal 4K sort of purchasing requirement any move that's overly quick to anything beyond that is it risks alienating and essentially just not not gaining any traction at all yeah i mean you just have to look at the marketplace in the last 12 months you know the one buzzword that was around was 4k a little bit longer than 12 months ago maybe 18 months ago it was just 4k that we were talking about you're now looking at 4k hdr wider color gamut a general member of the public, it's not going to know what the hell you're talking about. Um, yes, it's going to need to be bundled in such a way as, uh, you know, does it tick boxes that mean it meets standards that you don't care about and don't necessarily want to find. It just means, are you going to continue to get the X Factor in whatever format it is broadcast? Well, actually, I should be saying Antiques Roadshow, shouldn't I? Did you see that? <laughs> no. Uh, last night, uh, Antiques Roadshow more viewers than x factor so that's the future so whatever they're um, <laughs> excellent whatever whatever they're broadcasting uh, fiona bruce in um in in a couple of, that that's when it boils down to that's what people care about it ha they just want it to work and it to work reliably and to you not to own a several thousand pound white elephant yeah if you push too fast push too quickly <laughs> you are absolutely arsehole I've, I've never watched a full episode of the x factor but i watch antiques roadshow all the time i love it Especially just now, obviously, HD's been very good for um, the Antiques Roadshow. And 4K probably even better because you can just see more of the person's involuntary facial expression. Yeah. Whether they know <laughs> that, that you can just tell that it's worth much, much less than they thought it was. You yeah. Know, yeah. They had visions of buying a house in the Bahamas and it's actually worth £9.50. <laughs> and yeah, that's actually, it's a prime candidate for the highest viewing standards imaginable. And uh, I, I, I think it should be should be a technology showcase. That and Country Fire. Anyway, so, get, getting back to 10 features that your TV must have. <laughs> I mean, Phil and I have seen demos. You're going to be getting 4K, HDR, DCI, and 10-bit. That's going to look, at, trust me, it's going to look awesome. So yep. don't worry about that. Yeah, you, 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 don't need, you don't need 2020 or anything like that just it's yet. It's going to look awesome, yeah, trust me. Totally. So we've got this great, um, you know, this fantastic uh, quality content coming. The question becomes, how do you get it to your TV? And that's where HDMI comes into it. And 
uh, I mean, at the moment, they're only on only on um, the higher end televisions. But what you really want, ideally, and particularly when you're looking at TVs next year, is an HDMI 2.0A input. Um, most of the 4K TVs, certainly the mid to higher range TVs, they use HDMI 2.0. Um, you, you can get some with HDMI 1.4 because it can still pass 4K, but HDMI 2.0 really should be the minimum. And HDMI 2.0A means it can also pass metadata, which is what delivers the HDR. So obviously there's no point in having uh, 2.0A input on a TV that doesn't support HDR. But if it does support HDR, then it needs, obviously it needs to have that. Otherwise, you're limited to only being able to get HDR via streaming services using the built-in apps for things like Netflix or Amazon Instant. Um, so another thing you need to look out for is what kind of HDMI input is the TV you're thinking of buying? What kind of input has it got? Um, not always the easiest thing to find out, I have to say, that the manufacturers are often very vague when it comes to what HDMI inputs they're using. Some um, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Some don't know. They very rarely tell you. Um, the, the other important point here, Steve, is that people don't need to panic about cables. As long as you've got a high-speed HDMI cable and they're plentiful and you don't have to spend a fortune on them, um, the cables are fine. You don't have to change the yeah. cables at the minute. All we're talking about is metadata and some firmware updates that manufacturers should do at the TVs. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I'm obviously, we, in our reviews, we always try and identify exactly which kind of HDMI input there is by either looking in the manuals or, or testing or usually asking the manufacturers. We don't always know themselves. But, but, we've, but got a, we've got a nice little toy coming along, um, which should help us even further. Yes, Um and it was uh, mentioned in the feedback thread, and it's a great idea, which is uh, basically having a, uh, a, a a table, a checklist of whether these TVs have got these 10 particular features. Um, so if it's HDMI 2.0a, we'll identify it as such. Now, there was a second aspect to this, um, not it's connected to, uh, but not directly related with HDMI, which is HDCP, which is um, um, high, high bandwidth digital content protection, which has been around for some time now, but there's a new version, HDCP 2.2, uh, basically developed because the previous one had been cracked. And things like um, 4K Blu-ray and probably the broadcasters going forward and other sources will use HTCP 2.2 copy protection. So you need to make sure that your HDMI inputs, or at least one of them, uh, can handle HTCP 2.2. Otherwise, you won't be able to watch your brand new 4K Blu-ray player. And what about if they're putting uh, the signal through an AVR, Steve? You want to make sure that your AVR can also support... Now, actually, this is an interesting point because if you're going to buy an AVR, this is a slight uh, you know, tangent, but if you're thinking of buying an AVR, a lot of the same things apply here. You really want an AVR that's got, you know, can support, again, HDMI 2.0a and HTCP 2.2 so that you can pass all this content through to your TV or projector. Um, uh, and they are starting to come, certainly all the new models that are coming out around about now towards the end of this year. That's been added. So, but it is worth checking out because I know a couple of guys actually who've um, struggled with um, their older amplifiers, older receivers because they didn't support things like HDCP 2.2. Well, that, so, was my, that was my next question. You know, I'm buying this TV. Uh, am I going to have to go and buy another AVR if I get well, a 4K Blu-ray player? It will depend to a certain extent on what kind of outputs HDMI outputs are on devices. If they have two outputs, which is what happened on in the early days of of 3D, for example, quite often saw Blu-ray players with two outputs because not all AVRs could pass 3D. Um, so if there's two outputs, then you could put one to the TV and one to the receiver if it didn't uh, support things like HTCP 2.2. It's a bit of a, it's going to get a bit, there's going to be some confusion out here definitely over the next um, six months to a year 
because there will be legacy products that won't support some of these things. And you probably won't have thought of it because you're thinking, yeah, well, that's nothing to do with the, that's just a, that's a receiver, that's the sound thing. But obviously, it's also passing a video signal. So these things need to be thought of. And so, you know, it, whether it's an AVR or a TV or a projector, HDMI 2.0A and HDCP 2.2 support would be ideal. So basically, these are the two things that people really should be looking for when they're looking at the next TV. Without a doubt, if it's HDR-ready, 2.08, yeah, and you know it really has to have HDCP 2.2 if you want to have any future proofing when it comes to content being plugged into the TV. It has to accept that as the lowest minimum. And of course, these things are fluid, Stephen. They change all the time. And I've, I'm even hearing a rumor that come CES, we might even be looking at HDMI 2.1. Yeah. Well, I mean, HDMI has a long history of gradual incremental increases in in performance. Um, I'm not quite sure what HDMI 2.1 would add that HDMI 2.0a doesn't already do. But like we just said, things like broadcasting are still being agreed. So I think HDMI 2.0 does up to, what is it, frame rate, 50, 60 hertz? Yeah. So HDMI 2.1... You, you're going to you're gonna have to assume that that's 100 to 120. 100 to 120, yeah, which could well, well be the broadcast standard. Again, we don't know yet, but that's been discussed. So because for things like... Uh, football, for example, or fast-moving sport, the higher the frame rate, the or, you know, if it's 100 or 120 hertz, you get better bit better motion handling. So, uh, that, uh, that. As, a, as a side note, I'm probably not going to like that because <laughs> I think because <laughs> I think I think you have to have some motion blur in in whatever you do. I mean, you wave your hand in front of your face, there's there's blur there. You know, it's not crisp and clear and. Anyway, that's an argument for another day. I don't, I don't mind that with football or something. I, I'm a bit more concerned when I hear things you like James Cameron's going to shoot football. Avatar in 60 hertz. That's a bit worrying. Don't like the sound of that at all. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's um, connection-wise. Now, that just because your TV, even if your TV doesn't have HTCP 2.2, it doesn't mean to say you can't enjoy 4K content because um, there's still, and, and currently, pretty, with the exception of BT Sport, the only way you're going to get 4K content at the moment is via some of the streaming services, specifically um, Netflix, Amazon Instant, and YouTube. So in the case of the first two, HEVC decoding is also important. Um, that's high efficiency video coding or H.265, H. which was introduced probably what, about 18 months ago um, and is being used for encoding things like uh, Blu-rays and most of the 4K content. Basically, it's more efficient. You can cram more information, larger files into a smaller space. So that's important too. If it's got HEVC decoding, they can probably handle things like, I mean, other sources as well, but more, most importantly, internet um video providers like Netflix and and, uh, and Amazon Instant, who are currently the main sources of 4K content, which is number eight on the <laughs> on the list. So 4K streaming services, smart TV, uh, I think that's becoming more and more important and better over, over time. So again, it's, it's a feature that I think people should be looking out for. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, importantly of all, because you're probably not going to get your new TV calibrated, is an out-of-the-box out accuracy. If it's nice and accurate out-of-the-box, you know, you're going to get a good picture. And obviously... We do all this, test for all this in our reviews. So just read the review. You can see how accurate it is out of the box. But that isn't a key. And I've got to say, this year, in my experience, uh, the manufacturers have got pretty good at getting um, delivering TVs with, with good out-of-the-box out accuracy. I think you're wrong. I want televisions with a Dixon setting. I want the, <laughs> the orangest people you've ever seen. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of reviewers out there that like that kind of image as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, you can I go and read their possibly work. Possibly comment. <laughs> 
Uh, right, so let's move on swiftly. That, that article is up on the homepage if you're interested in having a look at that. And if you've got any feedback yourselves on things that you think uh, are important or are going to be important to you, then add them to uh, the thread there and um, we'll see what interesting things you can come up with. Just to wrap up here in terms of uh, uh, the AV side of things, uh, we've got two recent reviews um, talking about the latest and greatest and then looking at something which is really interesting but definitely firmly in the 1080p world and I think I'll go with that one first which is the Optoma HD91 Plus DLP LED projector like I say it's a 1080p projector the real plus point here is that it uses an LED light source and this is a plus model so what they've done is actually up the brightness level of the LEDs because I think you looked at the first one Steve the first HD91 um, yeah. and it wasn't a dim projector in any way um, but it could have done to be a little bit brighter yeah it was it was pretty it was bright enough for um, 2d watching you know watching 2d content uh, and obviously the fact that both you and I have you know pitch black rooms helps a bit but where it struggled a little bit was with 3d because obviously you need additional brightness for 3d and it didn't really have enough kick there but um, I think for the majority of use it was fine and obviously being an LED projector it doesn't dim as much as a bulb does. Yeah, so yeah. It, over over the length of its over you know over a long period of time, you'll probably find that it's brighter than the average bulb projector, which will dim significantly within you know five hundred to a thousand hours of its life. Well, it's quite interesting because obviously I've I've got an X seven hundred here at the moment, which is still our reference point for the last couple of years. I think it has been, and obviously I had that side by side, and I I think the JVC's got about hundred hours on it now, and this HD ninety one plus had about forty hours on. And I've got to say, running them side by side, um, they looked about the same brightness. Mm. Um, the thing is, like you say, if I did that test again in six months' time, the Optoma would probably be still be about the same brightness and there would be a noticeable dimming on the on the JVC. And that's the advantage with this technology. The other advantage is with projectors, people don't tend to get them calibrated that often because uh, it's a bulb technology and bulbs as the age they tend to drift and and it's you know from the bulb that, that makes up the color which is why there's usually a lot of yellow and green energy and very little red energy from a bulb and it's why they use filters and so on with projectors to try and balance that light output and of course as it as it ages the color shifts it, it changes its tone at, um, from the bulb and you need to recalibrate to get it back and of course it's getting dimmer and all the rest of it as as it ages that bulb so you know i should you be spending 300 pounds getting it Recalibrate, and I'm assuming that that is still the cost for a projector calibration, uh, guys. I don't. 200, 250, depending on. Right. So it's still a lot of money to, to have your projector recalibrated. The beauty of the HD91 Plus with this LED light source is that you pay that, and it's it's going to last 12 months, 18 months before it needs looking at again, I would imagine. It's very much like an LED LCD TV where you know it's not going to drift significantly over that, that length of time, which is a big, big plus point. The elephant in the room, though, is is a 1080p projector. And as I say in the review, though, and what we've just talked about there with the TVs and what your next TVs must have and all the rest of it, should you be upgrading to 4K at this moment in time? You know, what are the big advantages of doing that? Now, when you're talking about projectors, you're talking about big screen sizes, so you're going to get the benefits of 4K, and it's going to be more obvious on a 100, 110-inch uh, projected image than it is on a 65-inch TV. However, there's still a lack of content, which you've already alluded to, Steve. And up until recently, getting applications like Netflix and Amazon um, with 4K, those apps were TV only. 
um, mm. and they were only included in the TVs. Now that we've got the Fire uh, TV coming along, it, it kind of opens that out for, for owners and so on. But still, there's a lack of content. So do you make the jump to 4K at the minute, or do you stay with 1080p and get something like this that has um, new technology, new lamp technology, which is LED lighting? It's going to be a difficult one, and I said deliberately said in the review because I didn't want to get drawn on it. It's going to be a personal choice because it's quite difficult, isn't it, Mark? I mean, you know, if I asked you the question, which way would you go? What laser or cheapest 4K? Projector? No, no, we didn't mention laser at any point. It's LED. Sorry, LED. Another subject. Okay, okay, really coming away there. Yeah, sorry, LED or the cheapest 4K available. What's the cheapest 4K Sony one? Uh, it's about five grand at the minute. It's two yeah. grand's a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, that might just put it out of people's ballpark anyway. Um, God, that's difficult. It is. It's a difficult one. And it's. I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think I would be more tend towards go 4K. But then, hmm, I don't know. No, I don't know. I can't, you can't answer that one, really. Yeah. I mean, you're going to be relying on upscaling a lot of the time because, you know, your content is going to be Blu ray at the best for, for still for another 12 months out of the market. I guess if you're considering. St- Future proofing for um, sort of external sources going forward, though. I tend to want something that could accept, accept a 4K signal. Okay. Um, Ed, what about you, if you were given the choice? I don't know. Um, as I say, there's enough caveats to the purchasing of a television at the moment. My my honest... I mean, admittedly, I've always got other areas where I'd be, be more content to spend out. It's not like I, you know, have... No, 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 desk- no. At, at this moment in time, you're not allowed to spend on... In this hypothetical case, you're not, you're not a, a, an audio fan. This is strictly video. <laughs> well, again, just based on the fact that I would very rarely have the summer one together, I'd probably have to go nod to the future and accept that there would be limited 4K options, but I'd be looking to get several years out of the projector. So just... On, on the hope that there'd be an upward swing to there being more content for it across the sort of back later years of its lifespan. Interesting. Steve? Well, whilst I was very impressed with the HD91 when I reviewed it when it first came out, which was about over, over a year ago, wasn't it? Um, well over a year ago. I, I was impressed that they'd managed to produce an LED projector at that price point, given the ones we'd seen prior to that were about 15 to 20 grand. Oh yeah, mega expensive. Um, and don't confuse LED with the office LED projectors, yeah. don't don't confuse that people because we're talking about home cinema based, so it has to hit a certain performance point. But if my budget was around that kind of price point, so we're talking about sort of three to four grand, I don't think you'd, it's, it's a big jump to go to the to the four K Sony in honest because that's over five grand. It's a big difference in price, nearly twice as much. Um, I'd probably be more inclined personally, to go for the JVCX 5000, which is a similar price point, but does give you um, certain aspects that you can benefit from with uh, upcoming 4K content like um, Blu-ray. Yeah. Because um, you've got things like the, um, well, it does the H- HDMI inputs, yeah. slightly wider color space, you've got HDR support. Yeah. You can do a not full full 4K, but you can still benefit from 4K with the E-Shift. So that would be my personal preference. Yeah, and that's exactly what my answer would have been as well, um, if it was my money. But, you know, hats off to Optoma. They have brought the price of this technology down. It's still 1080p. The reason it's still a 1080p is it's a DLP-based projector, and DLP has no future roadmap at this moment in time in terms of consumer for 4K at the moment. Uh, certainly, you know, Texas Instruments have, have not made any noise. Um, maybe we'll hear something at CES, but up till now, there doesn't seem to be any way forward at this moment in time when it comes to 4K chips, as far as I understand it. Commercially, yes, um, but not consumer-wise. So that's why 
it's kind of stuck there at 1080p but cracking machine but the the one downside unfortunately is the black levels it would have been a stonking machine if it had good black levels unfortunately it's mediocre if you're using it in a room with white walls white ceiling which is going to have a raised light level floor level anyway you'd get away with it because you put a JVC in that type of room, you're, you're going to miss all the benefits of having the, the, the really low black levels and shadow detail anyway. So they're a bit more level playing field then, isn't it, Steve? But you know, if, yeah. if you're looking for a home cinema-based thing, then the black levels are not great. And it lets it down because everything else um, I thought was really, really good, especially the lens at that price point, nice and sharp, and motion on DLP has always been a strong point. Absolutely, yeah, um, and... By virtue of that, so 3D is always very good on, on um, if you're still a 3D fan. Um, and it's a little bit brighter than the one I review, which is probably good. You can In- interestingly, run. right, they made these, this update to this projector, sent it for review, and then didn't have any 3D emitter or glasses. Yeah. So that kind of tells you everything you need to know about <laughs> what manufacturers think about 3D. And it's been the same for most of the TVs this year, isn't it? I mean, yeah. certainly the TVs I've had. Mark, you, you the same? Have you been getting I glasses? There's only one TV that came with three 3D glasses all year. Yeah. So it kind of gives you an idea of what the manufacturer... It, it, like, we, like we predicted a few years ago, it's a feature that's on the TV. Some people will use it, some people won't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that's the Optoma review. It's up on the homepage. And Steve, uh, your review coming up later this week is uh, of a new Philips TV, and it's a 4K one. Yeah, 4K. Um, it's a 50 PUT 6400. It's a 50-inch Ultra HD 4K TV, and you can get it in, um, I think it's in Argos, for 599 quid. So who'd have thought? I mean, that's how much prices have dropped already in terms of um, 4K. You're looking at 50-inch 4K TVs for like five, six hundred quid. That's that, that's really quite a significant price drop, um, and, and and a good little performer too. Going through that list, it doesn't hit all the points that we mentioned, um, but you're not expecting a TV that's 600 pounds to do that. I mean, clearly at the moment, the TVs that do all of those things are the, are the high-end. Uh, flagship models so for example philips's new 9600 when that comes out very soon that will tick all the boxes but um this is this is aimed at people who want maybe maybe just want to dip their toes in the 4k waters try it out for themselves you know looking to get a, a tv but don't want to blow a load of money or have a limited budget but still want to get some 4k content going then this is a great choice uh, and you can't argue with 599 as a price it is pretty cheap for, and you're getting good performance good out of the box performance as well which is important yeah, it just shows you. I mean, it was only two months or three months ago that I gave a Best Buy to the 680 from Panasonic. Wasn't and it? that was, yeah, almost 800 quid. So, yeah, it's another £300 drop there yeah, in terms of mm. prices. So, um, only thing is, Android TV, did you have any issues with it? Yeah, yeah. Android TV, um, now I think this is the same story that we've seen with Sony. They're just not putting enough processing power. This has got a dual core processor and it's just not enough to run Android TV. And for the first time, I, up until now, I, I had a few problems with Sony, but the last Philips I had actually seemed quite stable. But this time I had a, a crash on Android and I had to, you know, to unplug the TV and plug it back in again. It just completely crashed on me. And I'm pretty sure that was directly related to the Android system because I was in it at the time. And that, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate, that's a familiar story that I certainly have been looking at um, feedback threads on the forums, people that, particularly the people that have owned, um, because a lot of the Philips have only just started coming out. So there's been more Sony sold up to this point. And some, there's some horror stories in terms of, um, of um, the reliability and stability of um, Android TV. Unfortunately, it just looks as though they're not putting enough processing power on these TVs to handle the platform, um, which is a shame because it is actually quite a good platform. I do like the platform inherently i think it, it's quite good. it's an interesting point you make there steve because i'm going to go to our android expert here <laughs> mark 
Uh, Mark, these these little media boxes, you you seem to have, don't have any issues with them running and, and so on. So, I mean, I'm assuming that they have better processors than the TVs then. Um, they're not running Android 5.1. That's, right, that's, so that's that's what the difference is then. Yeah, is only, I've only got one that's doing now, which is the Shield TV, um, which has got processing power to, to, to spare and three gigabytes of RAM so it can handle anything. So it's as smooth as putty on there. But um, I'm sorry, I tell a lie. I've had one box from a Chinese person that's 5.1 um, and it, it's so bad that I can't even review it. It's just, it, <laughs> it crashes the minute you put it on. And you if, do know if, that having let that slip, people are going to demand that you... Uh, uh, I will expose it. Yes, put, I will put, expose put, it. Put, I can't remember what it's called. Shoeing. Um, um, it, but that it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm sure obviously the requirements for these platforms are different to that of Android mobile devices. But um, there are two Android phones in this household for long and boring reasons. Uh, well, three if you count my wife's. But uh, my Nexus 6 has recently ticked over to Android 6. Sorry, Nexus 5 has really recently ticked over to ne- uh, Android 6. And to be honest, all the way through its updates, it's not an especially powerful phone. Um, it's never really shown any difference in its fundamental behaviour. If you strip all the crap off Android, it doesn't seem to be Oh, no, yeah, it's lightweight. But I think the um, problem is that the TV manufacturers have got to install everything else in yes. as, a, as an app. So, you know, the TV guide, the, the TV video processing, everything has got to be work as an app. And I think they've just not quite overcome that, that uh, challenge yet. It's, a lot, it's just a lot, of, a lot of programming time, I guess. Yeah. 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 Okay, but I mean, it's interesting. Um, it'd be interesting to see how, how that platform develops because um, it was only a couple of years ago that they were all going to have Google TV and um, and that fell flat in its face. Yeah, It'd be interesting yeah. to see if Android TV has any legs, and, and if it does, because, I mean, there are the developers there, and there's the potential there, the same as, as with the open Firefox system on um, Panasonic's TVs, um, that, that it's open so people can develop, and it'll be interesting to see if, if, if that's taken advantage of and, and what comes or doesn't come. Um, but anyway, work needing to be done on the smart TV side. That review will be up later in the week, so make sure you check it out. It's a Philips 50 PUT6400. And before we finish on hardware this week, uh, we're going to go Ed, because you managed to make it long to the podcast this week, so it'd be yeah. cruel not to let him talk. Um, so, Ed, uh, one of the questions that has been asked, um, this was a little while ago, but um, we're getting around to answering it, hopefully now, is what's the best way to listen to music on the move? Is it a phone and a dark combo with a head or headphone amp or a specialist music player? Well, this is where it gets... An, uh, it's an interesting one, this, because I missed the podcast last week. Uh, as I was in London, I, I have, have a life outside of AV forums, albeit a small and pathetic one. And I travelled down on the train and the tube with the aforementioned Nexus 5 and the Cord Mojo, for which the review is uh, up on the site currently. So it's been, been quite quite well viewed. We were quite, quite pleasantly surprised. In every sense, the sound quality that that combination produces is the is the equal of any portable audio player i've had my hands on for review or it shows or listening to other people's samples and so on and so forth um the mojo is genuinely genuinely state of the art and it's not the only product of its type out there we we reviewed the oppo ha2 a little bit of time ago um steve and i have conversed he still very much prefers the oppo in terms of just the way it looks and feels uh, and the rest of it the thing is that after a day of 
taking a phone with a blop, a sort of block hanging off the bottom of it on a USB cable in and out of pockets and the like, all of a sudden my thoughts on this sort of started to swing back towards the dedicated audio players. The Sony ZX2 went through the review process at the same time. Now that's £950. Uh, For that you get 128 gigs on board and uh, the option to expand it a bit further. If we take the sort of prices of top-line Android smartphones as being perhaps the better sort of match for this sort of requirement, all in all, with a mojo and sort of storage, additional storage, you're looking at about the same price. And in in Sonic terms, I will reiterate that I think the Mojo is a truly extraordinary piece of equipment. But if I was still commuting every single day, I'd be looking at trying to swallow the cost and have an audio player to run alongside. Uh, I mean, it's just little things. Just the Sony, as I say, the Sony is a more sort of streamlined device because it's not got anything hanging off it. The battery life... It, I don't believe for a second it could get anywhere near the claimed 33 hours. I think that's the same way that they quote MPG figures on cars. You could probably do it if you listen to it at notch one on the volume control on loop. But it's still comfortably better than than, than the phone is going to be under those circumstances. Yeah, I, I just found that there is still a, a pretty pertinent case for, for the standalone audio player. As it is, where I only commute sort of once or twice a month then the DAC comes into its own. Being able to use it with the laptop and and test with other devices, the Mojo really does have some strengths. But I was all set to say that the the Sony is a pleasant sort of curiosity, but just one day of commuting again sort of reiterated that there is a lot more sense to it. Okay, cool. Well, that's about all the time we have for hardware this week. But if you've got any questions regarding music on the move, then ask uh, ask them away in the podcast thread in the podcast forum. And I'm sure Ed will, uh, will jump in there and answer any of the questions. Or you can tweet us at AV Forums with any questions, any Ask the Idiots questions, that kind of thing. And we'll look at them going forward. So uh, it's time for movie news when we come back. So, and, and usually this week we're not trying to fill any space. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've had plenty to talk about. Uh, movie news, you didn't go to the cinema this week because you went to see Spectre on Monday. Yeah. Um, but what's opening on Friday? On Friday we've got Brooklyn, which is a new film written by um, Nick Hornby, uh, starring Saoirse Ronan, about a young Irish girl who emigrates to the States and, and dealing with her feelings and growing up and missing her home country and trying to, to adapt to a new country and, and basically falling in love with a guy in America and falling in love with a guy in Ireland and then having to make a choice. But it looks quite good and was very well received by uh, Cassandra, who did the review. Uh, we also have this week opening Kill Your Friends, which is an adaptation of a book that I've read, actually, and it's, it's kind of like um, an English version of American Psycho. It is very funny, but very blackly comic. Um, stars Nicholas Holt, and I quite fancy that. And also opening this weekend is Burnt, which is a film about a chef starring Bradley Cooper, Sienna Miller, and looked quite interesting in the trailers, and I'll probably end up going to see that as well because uh, my girlfriend is, is a chef and therefore quite likes watching um, films about mo- movies about food, basically. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it betrays, okay, I'm sure Mark can comment on this, it betrays kitchens in a more realistic fashion, i.e. places full of stress and trouble and uh, no fun was, at all. Was, was there not one recently very similar? Uh, you're thinking of Chef, Chef, yeah. yeah. Chef te- was good. They tend to come around, don't they? they? Like movies that are very close to the same sort of subject matter. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, I think this is based upon Anthony, is it Anthony Bourdain's book, um, 
Kitchen Confidential, which I've read, oh, is it? Oh, okay. um, which is a good laugh. <laughs> Worth read if, you, if you, it's very funny. Um, yeah, it's that kind of. Um, he's a you know he uh, Bradley Cooper's character was a high flying chef, Michelin starred chef in Paris who basically burns out um, and then has to sort of rebuild his career uh, in London. But it looks like it'll be fun, so I'll probably go and see that as well if I get a chance. Okay, uh, Blu-ray wise, what's coming up this week on Blu-ray? On Blu-ray this week we have Slow West, which is a western starring Michael Fassbender. I uh, haven't seen it, although I have read good things about it, and apparently it's very good. Also, it's not the name week... of Kim and Kanye's next child, then. <laughs> <laughs> North, slow, Only... <laughs> orange. <laughs> they don't norm- use normal names. Sorry, I digress. On you go. On you go. Uh, also opening, uh, being released this week is Terminator Genesis, uh, which I saw at the cinema and, much to my surprise, rather enjoyed. It's got an Atmos soundtrack, so that's good news if you're Atmos. Oh, able. well, I mean, it doesn't need to be a good film, does it? As long as it's got Atmos. Yeah. That means Wither's <laughs> going to buy it, whatever happens. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it could have been Arnie uh, sat there in a chair reading a, reading a novel for two hours, but if there was an Atmos soundtrack, you'd be obligated to buy it. <laughs> no, that's not necessarily true. I am not buying Pixels, and that's got an Atmos soundtrack. Oh, so you, you, we have, you've decided now that you will not own every Atmos film? I've, yes, I've, reached, uh, I've drawn a line in the sand. Uh, and over which pixels will not be crossing. Oh, right, um, I just there's no way I'm buying that. I, I hate Adam Sandler with every fibre of my being, and I couldn't bring myself to buy it. But I've got pretty much everything else. By the way, Steve, I need a review of uh, pixels in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what's coming out this week on Blu-ray. Okay, uh, so the reason you didn't go to the cinema at the weekend was because last Monday you went to see Spectre. News is that it is uh, the new box office record holder in the UK. Yep, it's uh, pulled in, I think it was 47 million in its first seven days, which is more than Skyfall did, the previous record holder. So uh, open to very big business in the UK, I think kind of expected that. Surprising, surprising given how mixed the actual reviews were on this, that, that it's pulled in that type of money. Because I, I think no, Skyf- Skyfall reviews. got really, really good reviews and there was yeah. that whole momentum behind it. So I'm quite surprised that, that Spectre's managed that. Yeah, I think... Um, I think part of it was the Skyfall effect that there's been a lot of pent up demand for this film post Skyfall. You know, it's been what, two, three years, isn't it? It's been three years, so there's there's been a lot of pent up demand, and and I think people were going to go and see this film regardless of the reviews. Uh, people want to see it for themselves, and um, that's obviously paid off dividends as far as um, box office goes. Um, yeah, it was, it was 41.7 million it took uh, in the UK and Ireland uh, in the first seven days, which is you know is a hefty chunk of cash. Um, and, and it bodes well for its rollout because obviously it opened in the UK first. So it's going to roll out across the rest of the world, including obviously the US, and should um, and should do extremely well. Whether it will make a billion dollars, which is what um, Skyfall made, is another question. Because as you say, for there was a kind of momentum about, you know, it was a bit cool to be being British again and the Olympics, and it kind of drove the whole film forward. Whether that will apply to Spectre, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it, I think generally it's had good reviews. Most of the reviews I've read have, have been positive. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it. So... I think it. I think it'll do, it's going to do very well. Um, and then it just becomes a big. The big debate then becomes: Is it going to be, um, you know, Craig's last, or not? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I guess the record it set this week will only last for another seven weeks, and then it will get blown out of the water <laughs> by Star Wars anyway. So it's largely yeah. I was. I was at this point. I was waiting until you mentioned that. I was. I was thinking he's got. He's going to mention Star Wars at some point. It's well, Star happen. Wars is getting some of my money, and Spectre realistically isn't. I mean, I don't know whether that's going to be the decider, but it's going to be 17 quid <laughs> yeah, either way. That's going to make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you as well, Ed, so that's £34. Yeah, it just keeps yeah, on well, keeps I, on I, climbing, I didn't get it? I didn't get to go and see Spectre, so I might go this week, though. So, um, 
we'll, we'll wait and see. Hmm. So after all that talk, it was only me that went to go and see it again. Yeah, well, well, actually, I, I decided I wasn't going to go and sit in a cinema. for. Uh, I wanted to go out outdoors. Do you know how far my life has sunk? I, re- I read your lead article, Steve, about the 10 things your television needs, and I was thinking, do you know what? If I was writing this, I'd say, do try and get hold of the remote in the store and see how many times it can be dropped or immersed in squash before <laughs> it stops working. Can you control the television from a tablet? Because you'll need to, because the remote has been dropped in squash. You know, how well does the television yeah, wipe but, down yeah, but, after but being covered in biscuits? Yeah, but that's just that point, Ed. I mean, the next one is when he gets his teeth and so on. It, it'll be, He's got I, teeth, trust me on that. It's, well, it's, it'll it's be more, chewing it through it next. That'll be the next thing. It's like I was when we were at the launch for the Cord Mojo. And they were going, you can drive a tank over it. And I felt like saying, yeah, but what happens if you leave it in a room full of two-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> tanks? Tanks are fine. Tanks are very predictable. So, yeah, um, if you are currently childless and imagine that over the span of your next television that you uh, may, may, may accrue, <laughs> accrue a family, just, just it doesn't matter how well-assembled you think it is, just make sure that it, it's indestructible. So really, okay. we should be sending all our samples through to you, Ed, for build quality testing, really. I've <laughs> said it before, my son was sent a remote control by a manufacturer as a pre-production sample. I was instructed to just leave him with it for a week or two and see if it still works at the end. That, that <laughs> did it. Thing, it did, <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah. It's uh, it's something to, something to pay attention to. It's not very glamorous. It's it's a, it's a different sort of problem to making sure you've got the correct HDCP encoding, but it still matters. Trust me. Okay. When you can't turn it on because the remote's covered in drool, you'll care. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, that's Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> Record-breaking Spectre and, yeah. and thankfully orange-free, orange-juice-free Spectre. Yeah, there you go. Um, still at the cinema, so if you get the chance, uh, and like I say, I might get the chance this week, so we'll wait and see. So to wrap up, this was when when I looked at the trailer, Steve, and I saw it was set in the, the you Victorian know, era. Victorian era. I was thinking, oh, what the hang? But then once I realised it was a one-off special, and it's because it, you know the series is set in the contemporary time period that we are in at the moment, with all the technology and all the rest. Of it It'd be interesting to see uh, Cumberbatch actually play it as it was intended to be in, in terms of the time setting that Holmes is intended to, to yeah. uh, you know, existed in. So it has a lot of promise. And the big thing here is that not only is it on BBC One on New Year's Day, it's also going to be in the cinema. Yeah, it's going to get a cinema release on New Year's Day as well for one day. Uh, and most surprisingly, um, it's going to have a Dolby Atmos soundtrack. So that that's, I mean, I think I mentioned last week about um, Game of Thrones being the first TV series to be remixed in in Dolby Atmos, but this would be the first, as far as I'm aware, the first, I guess we call it a TV movie uh, or TV special that's been uh, actually made with Dolby Atmos soundtrack. So that's unusual in itself. And I think we discussed this on the previous podcast, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because I think having established Sherlock as a modern day, you know, modern day story, uh, and they've in- cleverly incorporated modern technology into it, they now have to go backwards and tell a similar story yeah. without those kind of things. Wait. So it'll be interesting whether they can achieve the same sense of... Because uh, it's a very dynamic show, isn't it, Sherlock? It's, it's, it's a lot happening, things popping up on screen. It's, it's all yeah. very frenetic. Whether they can keep that kind of um, energy going. In, I don't know if it's Victorian or Edwardian, I can't remember now, but whenever Sherlock Holmes was originally set, then um, it'll be interesting to see whether they can do that. But that, I think that, it'll be fun. That's, if, what if makes it in, that's what makes it interesting for me. Is the like I say, like you've just said, and I said in the opening there, you know, it's sent in 
contemporary times, using contemporary technology like iPhones and all the rest of it, and text messages and emails and all this kind of thing, and um, you know the the blogs written on on a website and that kind of thing. Taking that back, that's what's interesting to see how they're going to keep it dynamic and interesting, and or if they're going to fall into the what people expect of an old time Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it also be interesting to see um, Cumberbatch playing it. Um, as as a period Holmes, as opposed to the modern day version, and also that they, I saw the writers. I mean, Stephen Moffat and um, Mark Gattis were saying that if you read the uh, actual novels, there are very, with the exception of Mrs. Hudson, there's hardly any female characters at all in in them. Um, so nothing, no one with a serious or major role. Uh, and when they wrote the TV series, they deliberately created. I think her character is called Molly, who's the um, coroner. They created her character specifically for the TV series to create a female role, a more major female role, other than just Mrs. Hudson. So clearly, if they're going back to uh, to the Edwardian area, that they can't have that character, which means they've got to you know, find some way of establishing female roles w- within the context of the original novel. So, it'd be interesting to see how they do all those things. A lot of ejaculation. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, a lot of uh, ejaculation as well. That was a QI thing, but seemingly that's that's the uh, the wordage that was used at the time. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's more. There's uh, H. G. Wells was quite big on it as well. Quite a lot of ejaculation in his books as well. So anyway, I, and I guess you know BBC Worldwide will have this out on Blu-ray in a couple of weeks after after it's been shown. Yeah, hopefully on the TV. Blu-ray will will also include the Atmos soundtrack, which will be great. Yeah, because it won't be on BBC One in Atmos. No, no, of course not. No. No. And on that bombshell, uh, that is uh, everything for the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. My mind rebels at stagnation. Give me problems. Give me work. I don't mean that last bit, Phil. Uh, Mark Hodginson. My ten minutes are up. You'd be lucky if it actually comes to ten If I was to edit all your bits together. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon maybe. Actually, you have been especially quiet this week. <laughs> I am dead, Sally. It's not working. Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV forums for latest reviews, news and video. And of course, we forgot to do it again <laughs> this week. I promise next week, Steve, make a note of it now in the running order to go and check iTunes. If you leave us five stars, we'll mention you on the show. And uh, please go and do that because it helps us uh, be present on the front page. And that means that more people can find the podcast and get involved. Um, so please do that if you can. We'll be back again next Wednesday. So thanks for listening. Thank you.